Good morning. No Dr. David Hilden, no Denny Long. I think for the first time in the history of the program, I am Steve Thompson, pleased to be joined by Dr. Matt Pracker, uh, pulmonary emergency medicine and critical care doctor at HCMC, and phone lines are open. We will discuss COPD on the program, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease on the program. So keep that in mind early in the program. And then, of course, uh, we'll take your calls and texts. Here are the phone numbers, 651-989-9226, 651-989-9226. You can text 81807. That is 81807. Uh, good to see you. Uh, good to meet you. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to come. Thanks to you and thanks to my colleague, Dr. Hilden, uh, for the invitation. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background and uh, how you got into HCMC. Sure. Well, I have kind of a unique position at HCMC. I uh, see patients in a lot of different areas of the hospital. Um, I'm a Twin Cities native, uh, like a lot of the physicians at HCMC. I went to medical school at the University of Minnesota. And as I finished there, I was lucky enough to go to HCMC for my residency where I got training in uh, adult internal medicine as well as emergency medicine, and that program took five years. And then I went out west to the University of Washington and uh, specialized in pulmonary and critical care medicine, and I was able to come back to Hennepin uh, after three years out west and uh, establish a practice where I see patients uh, in the emergency department about half my time. Uh, I spend about a week a month in the medical ICU at HCMC with some great colleagues, and then I see patients in a pulmonary clinic as well as uh, inpatients with pulmonary problems. Yeah. So I suppose you see a lot of people in distress when they come through the emergency room. Yeah. You know, in that kind of practice uh, appeals to many of us where you have to respond quickly, uh, make a rapid diagnoses, but also get to know people after just meeting them for a, a few minutes. And so it's a unique skill set, but one that I think we do a pretty good job of where at Hennepin. Well, it's a pleasure to visit with Dr. Matt Pragher on the uh, program this morning from HCMC. We wanted to discuss uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD. Uh, people tune into television. They see commercials for various medications that help people deal with COPD and that sort of thing. But give us an overview of what is COPD. Sure, Steve. Uh, so patients with COPD, I see in my whole practice from... Uh, flare-ups in the emergency department to patients who are uh, on a stable treatment regimen in my clinic. Um, COPD is chronic obstructive lung disease. It's, uh, in the United States, almost exclusively a a sequelae of of chronic smoking um, is the big risk factor, and it really involves several different um, aspects of lung health. One is uh, COPD has a lot to do with asthma, and folks know asthma is a childhood or young adult disease. Uh, Adults can get it too, but it involves wheezing, Uh, wheezing that comes and goes. Asthma is a disease that's reversible, so when people get treatment, they can often go back to a normal lung function. COPD is chronic asthma in the sense that their uh, wheezing usually never gets better. It's kind of a fixed thing. Uh, So asthma is an important part of COPD, and a lot of our treatments are directed at fixing the the, uh, shortness of breath and wheezing. Uh, A second part of COPD is emphysema, and when I say emphysema as a lung doctor, I mean actual destruction of the lung tissue that we can see on our x-rays and CT scans. Um, The lung's a really interesting organ, but when uh, you breathe in air, the lung passively, kind of elastically like a balloon deflating recoils back to a normal lung volume, and COPD can damage the lungs and break up that 
architecture so the lungs don't recoil to their normal volume, and you actually trap or retain more air inside the chest, leading to a feeling of shortness of breath. The third part of COPD we should talk about is a problem called chronic bronchitis. This has to do with the cough that a lot of folks with COPD have to deal with. Uh, And chronic bronchitis is a cough where you bring up mucus or sputum uh, most days of the week for uh, at least several months and two consecutive years. So it's a practical definition, but it just refers to a chronic productive cough uh, as the third part of COPD. Now, is COPD one of those things that's exclusively caused by smoking, smoking cigarettes, cigars, other tobacco products, or are there other mechanisms that cause COPD? Yeah, so we really uh, work on you know, quitting smoking with all of our patients. Uh, it is the main risk factor for COPD, especially in the U.S., but we do know that about one in six Americans uh, who have COPD have never smoked, so there's definitely more at play there. Uh, we identify air pollutants at the home and in the workplace uh, as important risk factors. A lot of COPD has to do with genetics, uh, so it's uh, the susceptible smoker, so to speak, person with the, and inherited the wrong genes that sets them up for this rapid rate of lung deterioration when they smoke. And then recurrent respiratory infections can also lead to COPD. Now, is it one of those things where it's never too late to quit smoking? I heard that once upon a time from my doctor because when I first started in the business, everyone in radio smoked cigarettes. And I remember having a conversation with him uh, many, many years ago when I, when I finally quit. And he said, it's never too late to quit. Do you say the same thing to your patients, even older patients who come in that are maybe starting to see some of these symptoms? Yeah, uh, we sure do. And we actually have pretty good evidence and uh, data in our medical literature to support that. Um, The people with COPD have an accelerated rate of lung function loss. As we all age, after about age 30, when our lung function is at its maximal, everybody loses some function in their 40s, 50s, and so on. Uh, But folks who uh, have the genes that set them up for it and also smoke really have an accelerated rate of lung function loss. Um, A normal person, for example, loses about 20 to 30 cc's of of lung capacity per year. And in folks with COPD, that really can be accelerated all the way up to 90 or 100 cc's per year, which as time goes by, that's a um, clinically significant, we'd say, or a difference patients would feel. At any time after, uh, as the the lungs are aging, someone's able to quit smoking, they can arrest that accelerated rate of lung function loss, and they can really start aging uh, healthily again, so to speak. Um, And so it's never too late to quit. I don't say that lightly because I see a lot of my patients uh, struggle with this. It's a a hard addiction and one that um, is not easy but is, uh, is very important at any age. When you first diagnose COPD, can it be stabilized? Can you um, put it in a holding pattern, if you will? Uh, We sure try to, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, You know, our priority being uh, quitting smoking. We can use medications to try to minimize the symptoms. But COPD is a hard disease because uh, folks who develop it don't know it right away necessarily. Uh, You can lose lung function for years and never have uh, symptoms. Your lungs have a lot of redundancy or reserve. And then all of a sudden in your 50s or 60s, you may notice you're not keeping up with your friends when you go for walks or playing with the grandkids. Uh, More and more difficult to do that. And we see folks go into their physician and um, have an important test that can be done in the office called spirometry done to really make the diagnosis of COPD and say, whoops, now it's time to really uh, get this treatment started. 
And, and what, what is that test like? Is it just test the ultimate volume or capacity of the lungs? Yeah, that's the idea. Um, COPD is all about obstruction to airflow in the lungs. So the lungs have um, a branching tree of hollow tubes that carry the air into the lungs. And as those tubes get smaller, they can get uh, obstructed for several reasons. Uh, there's excess mucus production in COPD. There's also, just like asthmatics, there's bronchospasm or muscular contraction of those small airways that clamp them down. Any of those mechanisms leads to obstruction to airflow, and that's what spirometry measures. So we have our nurses and technicians in the clinic uh, trained to deliver this test. It can be done in less than five minutes. And it involves a patient sealing their mouth around a mouthpiece and blowing into a spirometer that measures the rate of airflow. And we look at both how much air can be blasted out of the lung in the first second of the test, as well as how much air from the top of the breath all the way till the patient can't blow anymore. And those are the two most important measurements in COPD. All right. So ultimately, if someone is diagnosed with COPD, what are some of the treatments? I brought up, uh, I think there's a medication that people will see on television from time to time. There's an ad for it. But what are some of the things you prescribe? What are some of the things people can do to get some relief from COPD? Sure. So as a lung specialist, and this applies to primary care doctors too, who are also very familiar with managing COPD, our first step in prescribing the right treatment is figuring out the severity of the COPD when we meet that patient uh, or as their disease evolves over time. So spirometry is very important there, as well as taking a a history of their symptoms. And more uh, symptomatic patients who seem to be experiencing more symptoms, we treat more aggressively. Uh, The mainstays of treatments are inhalers, and we have several different families of inhalers now that are helpful in COPD. Almost universally, we prescribe an inhaler called albuterol, and albuterol is a short-acting rescue-type inhaler that takes uh, effect quickly but only lasts an hour or two, and that's used for breakthrough symptoms. Some folks with early stages of COPD only need albuterol and will begin treatment there. But often we also prescribe longer-acting inhalers that are meant to be taken every day, regardless if you feel good or bad. And uh, those are taken once or twice a day, and they're meant to kind of try to reverse that airflow obstruction and relieve symptoms. But we know that these inhalers don't cure COPD, and uh, the, really the things people can do to add years to their life after this diagnosis are quit smoking, and some very select patients uh, need to wear oxygen at different parts of the day uh, to also give increase their lifespan. So albuterol is something that would be common, uh, maybe uh, commonly prescribed for a a child with asthma, uh, with a nebulizer, that type of thing. Correct, yeah. It's the same medication in COPD because, again, COPD and asthma have a lot of features that overlap. And uh, albuterol can be delivered either in a puffer, so to speak, a metered dose inhaler, or uh, with a nebulizer machine at home. And sometimes we use both techniques with our patients. Is there a link between uh, children with asthma or people who suffer from asthma and developing COPD later in life? Yeah, good question. Uh, This is an area of a lot of research in pulmonary medicine now. Um, We're looking not only at childhood asthma, but even before childhood asthma to in utero exposures, premature birth, and how the lungs develop on those crucial first few years of life can uh, speak, uh, I think, volumes to what they may experience as adults. Um, So when I take history from my patients, that's something I'll often ask. Have you had asthma in childhood? Uh, Were you born prematurely? Any exposures as a child with your lungs that we should know about? Um, And we're learning more and more about that. So uh, there are the inhalers, and then ultimately I would assume uh, as people get further down the road with COPD, there is oxygen therapy. 
Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Between the inhalers and oxygen, we often use medications uh, for flare-ups of COPD. And this is an important part of the disease in that triggered by a number of different things like uh, common cold or influenza or pneumonia um, or different um, air quality uh, problems, a patient can have a flare-up of their symptoms where uh, they're noticing more shortness of breath, more cough, and more wheezing. They'll often come and see us either, again, in the emergency department or the clinic, and we'll prescribe prednisone, which is a very potent anti-inflammatory for the lungs. And uh, this is given as a pill form for anywhere from 5 to 14 days. And folks with COPD really notice that uh, benefit uh, within just a couple days of starting that burst of prednisone. Prednisone is a drug that um, has side effects in long-term use, uh, so we're hesitant to, to use it every day. But to quiet down these flare-ups, it's very important to get the patient safe and, and their symptoms uh, minimized. And then uh, you, you brought up the oxygen treatment, mm-hmm. and people see those out in public at the store, wherever, people that are carrying around some sort of portable oxygen unit, if you will. And I suppose uh, that's ultimately that type of therapy is is uh, when, it, when it gets very severe and they need that extra oxygen. Correct, yeah. Um, oxygen is a big uh, lifestyle change for a lot of our patients, um, and so we don't take that lightly at all, and this is often a conversation we'll have over a couple of clinic visits to get them ready for that therapy. Uh, it happens late in the disease, so folks on oxygen have likely been experiencing COPD for a number of years with continued uh, decline. And oxygen is really meant to correct the low blood oxygen levels associated with the disease, both in nighttime and daytime. Um, And we can prescribe it either to be used anytime that patient's exerting themselves, if the oxygen level drops. Or some people, the disease is so severe, we ask them to wear that oxygen 24-7. And we have pretty specific criteria we need to look for to know who would benefit from oxygen. And it has to do with checking just with a finger probe in clinic the uh, pulse oximetry, or a measure of how much hemoglobin in the blood is saturated with oxygen. And where our cutoff we look for is 88%, which is much lower. You and I are now 98 or above percent. Um, but when you get down to 88%, either at rest or with exertion, that's a time that we think this person might benefit from long-term oxygen therapy. All right. Uh, COPD in the spotlight this morning on Healthy Matters. Denny Long and Dr. David Hilden are away, but we're pleased to be joined by Dr. Matt Pracker, uh, pulmonary emergency medicine and critical care doctor at HCMC. Your call's coming up. Uh, we, we have a couple of callers waiting. We're going to go there momentarily. Our phone number on the program, 651-989-9226. You can text 81807. That is 81807. Healthy Matters brought to you by HCMC continues in a moment. It is 752 McCarthy Auto World where you can save 20% off MSRP on select Buick LaCrosses. Welcome back to Healthy Matters. Dr. David Hilden is away today, and we're pleased to be joined by Dr. Matt Pracker, a pulmonary emergency medicine and critical care doctor at HCMC. COPD in the spotlight on the program today. By the way, our phone number's 651-989-9226, You can text 81807. That is 81807. We go to the phone lines. Julie in St. Paul. Julie, you're on the air with the doctor. Good morning. Julie? No, it's June. Oh, June. Sorry. Yeah. All right, June, you're on the air. Okay, thanks. 
<clears throat> I was diagnosed with um, bronchiolitis. I've been coughing since before Easter, and I've been on prednisone. I've been on two different inhalers, codeine, cough syrup, everything. What's wrong? What is it? All right. Well, June, good morning. Um, I, uh, the, it's a very good question, and it sounds like you've had a lot of evaluation for this problem. You're right that uh, it brings up an important point, and that's with a lot of respiratory diseases, uh, there is a differential diagnosis, and we consider several possibilities when we see people with subacute or chronic uh, wheezing and shortness of breath. Um, because COPD is so common, and I don't think we've mentioned yet, but this is COPD is a disease that uh, affects at least 16 million Americans, if not more. Um, so it's very common. We often go there first, especially if someone's had exposure to tobacco in the past. But there are other possibilities, too. Adult onset asthma is something we see in the clinic. Uh, bronchiolitis, which you brought up, is uh, a disease that um, we see as well and is a little more difficult to diagnose. But again, I think uh, physicians tend to go to ancillary tests to try to diagnose uh, issues like this, including possibly CT scans of the lungs, more in-depth pulmonary function tests. And with time and seeing how symptoms evolve, we can often come to a diagnosis. But we definitely share our patient's frustration when that diagnosis is elusive. Yeah, and I, I suppose there are a lot of environmental factors. Uh, is it possible that uh, allergy symptoms, uh, allergens in the air, mold in the home, all of those types of things could cause uh, symptoms that are hard to sort out? Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, the lungs are a unique organ in that they're one of the only organs exposed to the outside environment with every breath of air you take. So uh, the lungs have an immune system of their own, and they can react to things you inhale. So uh, we work as lung specialists in concert with other specialists at the hospital. Allergists is a good example. Cardiologists are another group to sort out heart-lung interactions and make sure the heart's doing okay uh, to really get our patients the, you know, the most accurate diagnosis and the best treatment. Uh, from the text line, I'm a 60-year-old male. I've never smoked. Can exercise improve lung function? Uh, as you get older, are there things you can do that can help your lungs uh, be their best, if you will? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think we're uh, in the community of physicians, uh, especially here in Minnesota, we're big advocates of staying active as much as possible. We know that strengthens breathing muscles. Uh, it helps clear any mucus that's built up in the airways in folks with COPD and also in healthy lungs as well. Uh, it has lots of benefits for the heart uh, and the mood as well. Um, so a uh, big fan of exercise. I think for folks uh, with COPD or cro- other chronic lung diseases, uh, exercise can be intimidating. They don't want to overdo it, cause any problems. So I just put a plug in for programs that are available at hospitals around the area here called pulmonary rehabilitation. We have a lot of patients that deal with rehabilitation issues, physical ones typically with physical therapy, occupational therapy. This is a little different wrinkle on that, but these are using expert therapists who have knowledge of lung diseases, and they do several things. They monitor patients' exercise uh, with oximeters as someone walks on a treadmill and gradually increases the pace. They help guide patients through managing symptoms of chronic lung disease and what to do uh, to minimize the, the uh, panic or anxiety they feel when they're short of breath. As well as there's a component of uh, just a support group there where you're around people, other people with chronic lung disease and can learn from their experiences too. So definitely talk to your um, primary care physician or a pulmonary specialist about pulmonary rehab as a great option to stay active. Let's go to the phone lines again. Uh, John in Apple Valley, you're on Healthy Matters, presented by HCMC. Good morning, John. Hey, hey, morning, guys. Hey, hey Doc, um, I'm just wondering, I, I see a lot of people talking about with 
with the allergens like that you just mentioned, and, and they have these plug-in air purifiers in like their bedrooms for at night and stuff. And I'm just wondering if you had kind of a, a generic thought of um, you know having these uh, as opposed to a fan having these um, air purifiers in the room to kind of clean things up. So that's it. All right, oh, very good, John. We're coming up on a break very shortly, but any thoughts on that, Doctor? Yeah, I think there's many ways to mitigate the effects of allergies, which in a Minnesota summer and early spring we're inundated with. Uh, air purifiers are a little bit uh, plus-minus for me. I think there are other ways to do this uh, medication-wise, avoiding exposures, and then keeping uh, bed linens and mattresses and things and allergy covers. All right, we've got to run to a break. We've got more. Once again, uh, Dr. Matt Prager is joining us from HCMC. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Thanks so much for joining us on Healthy Matters. Denny Long is away. He's on a Good Neighbor tour. He'll be back in a couple of weeks. Dr. David Hilton is away as well. We're pleased to be joined by Dr. Matt Parker as a pulmonary emergency medicine and critical care doctor at HCMC. And we started out visiting about COPD or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And we'll take a few more calls and texts on that. But uh, before uh, we say goodbye today, we do want to touch on emergency medicine and critical care and some of the things happening at HCMC uh, before the end of the program today. We want to jump right back to the phone lines today and once again take a, a few more calls on COPD. Let's bring in Mary. Marion Crestel, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. I have a good morning. Hello. Hello. You're there. Yes, I'm here. Okay, go ahead, Mary. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, good. Um, I have a question. For like 15 years, I've had a chronic cough, and it's triggered, well, in the morning when I get up, and it's productive, and I went to the mail, and they didn't find anything, um, but it's triggered by temperature changes, radical, like air conditioning or going out in the winter, uh, vibrations in a car, laughing, laughing. it, just a lot of things, and I just don't know what to do. And I was wondering if it might be chronic bronchitis or what there's I can do because it's very annoying. Cough drops seem to help, and I consume a lot of them. All right, Mary, uh, doctor, what do you think? Well, that's a uh, very tricky problem, Mary, and I sympathize with you that when we see patients in our pulmonary practice with chronic cough, it's one of the most uh, bothersome ailments people have because it's disruptive to, like you were mentioning, things as simple as speaking or laughing or even sleeping. Um, We try to take a very organized approach to chronic cough, and I'm sure that's what they did uh, in the physicians you consulted with. Uh, There are cases we can't really find an etiology, and we'll um, just try some treatments uh, to see if they modify the cough. Um, I think going through a a kind of a stepwise testing process, like I'm sure you had, with spirometry and pulmonary function measurements, some lung imaging, maybe even a procedure like bronchoscopy sometimes arrives at the diagnosis. But the kind of um, reactive cough you're describing where you're reacting to things, temperatures and things you're inhaling, um, is often very difficult to treat. And it's one, fortunately, after six months or a year, some patients do spontaneously get better from. Um, Wild temperature changes very dry air, all of those sorts of things I'm sure can cause lung problems. That's right, yeah. Uh, like we talked about earlier, the lungs do react to the outside environment. And patients with chronic lung disease, uh, you know, more so than a chronic cough, really know when it's okay for them to really be outside and be active. And they'll sometimes target those early morning or late afternoon hours when it's not the heat of the day. 
Now let's go to Lori and Blaine. Lori, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. A um, couple questions. First of all, what about secondhand smoke? Uh, does that do those people get affected by COPD? And then also the new e-cigarettes. Those people who are smoking, as well as those who receive the the vapor um, exposure to that, um, are they also affected, or could they be affected by COPD? Thank you. All right, Lori. Yeah, very good questions. Uh, I'll tackle the first one, um, which was uh, about secondhand smoke, and that is a big risk factor for uh, chronic lung disease, especially if you're around uh, close family members or partners who smoke inside the home. Um, that was the case, you know, um, for in the last 15, 20 years, and we're now seeing the effects of that secondhand expo- smoke exposure where we're making diagnoses in the clinic and seeing the pattern of COPD in people who have never smoked themselves. Um, that was true for the workplace, and we're in as lung specialists happy to see restaurants and workplaces uh, be smoke-free now. Um, we do know that uh, there are other risk factors to COPD, but it turns out that that gender doesn't seem to be one of them. Uh, when we followed thousands of patients in a large study called the Lung Health Study and looked at who um, was at risk for COPD among a population of smokers, it sorted out that uh, that men and women kind of had equal risk, um, and but that's both uh, direct smoking and secondhand. Um, we do know that there are people, just to follow up on that thought, people who uh, smoke and don't ever develop COPD, and the best data we have is from Europe, and it looks like of a whole population of smokers, about a quarter of people will go on to have a diagnosis of COPD in their lifetime. Certainly some are undiagnosed, but we think uh, that genetics play a big role too in direct or secondhand smoke exposure. And then your second question was a very good one and one that I get in my pulmonary practice in clinic all the time, and that's what's the deal with these e-cigarettes and what are the risks and um, are they a useful uh, kind of bridge to quitting tobacco smoke? Um, And it's a problem that I've struggled with a bit because our knowledge as physicians of e-cigarettes is really in its infancy. It's only been around several years, so we don't have the long-term longitudinal studies to say with certainty what the health effects are. Um, I've seen e-cigarette or transition to e-cigarettes work to help some of my patients uh, quit tobacco cigarettes, and I think that's a useful thing. But I've also read and uh, review articles and expert uh, knowledge on this topic. There are um, inorganic and organic chemicals in the um, in these uh, liquid materials that go into the e-cigarettes that also are possibly carcinogenic or otherwise harmful. So I think there's no um, free lunch, so to speak. I think everything uh, in that realm has risks. But um, as a quitting smoking aid, uh, you know, I have seen it work, and it's something I don't don't discourage, but I'd like to see our patients quit uh, nicotine using nicotine replacement or other uh, prescription medications that cut down on cravings first. From our text line, every time I catch a head cold, I develop asthma symptoms, and invariably it turns into bronchitis. Is there something I can do to prevent this uh, progression into my lungs? Uh, Something I can do when I first feel a cold coming on? Yeah, uh, this is a common scenario and one that we deal with in our urgent cares and emergency departments on a daily basis. Uh, There are some people that might not have a formal diagnosis of asthma or COPD who are just uh, predisposed to chest congestion and those upper respiratory infections involving the lower respiratory tract. Um, Besides uh, staying physically active, a lot of hand washing and preventative things to not get sick in the first place, 
there's not much you can do to abort that progression. I think having a rescue inhaler on hand where you can start to treat yourself early if you're feeling chest congestion or wheezing is helpful. Some physicians will um, set up a program with their patients where uh, at-home prednisone can be started by the patient when they feel uh, wheezy or feel that chest tightness coming on. That's also a good abortive strategy. Um, But short of that, this is a common problem. It's one that we have not figured out a good solution for yet. All right, quick break. We have more. It is Health Matters. Dr. David Hilden is away this week. Uh, Pleased to be joined by Dr. Matt Pracker is a pulmonary emergency medicine and critical care doctor at HCMC, and we want to get some of his thoughts on what happens on the emergency side when we return. It is Health Matters presented by HCMC. You're on News Radio, E3O-WCCO. Welcome back to Healthy Matters. Dr. David Hilden and Denny Long are away, I think for the first time in the history of the program, but we're pleased to be joined by Dr. Matt Pracker, a pulmonary emergency medicine and critical care doctor at HCMC. And before we run out of time in the program, we want to talk about uh, that uh, emergency and and critical care component of all of this. And I'm sure when uh, a patient comes in uh, via helicopter or ambulance, one of the first things you need to do is is make sure that uh, they're breathing properly, and uh, that's job one. Correct. Yeah, we uh, we have our priorities for you know resuscitating patients who suffer critical illness, and uh, I think it's really neat uh, the way our healthcare system has evolved, where critical care doesn't have to happen in an intensive care unit now. Uh, we have paramedics that are very well trained in uh, life-saving procedures and delivering that critical care as soon as they come upon a patient in their home or out in public. Uh, they can continue those interventions on the way to the hospital. Uh, and certainly in the most dramatic way, people arrive at HCMCs by helicopter and land right on our roof. Uh, those flight paramedics or flight nurses bring that patient in a uh, high-speed direct elevator right to the emergency department where our teams meet them um, and do our initial assessments and make priorities for their care. And then um, as we take care of that patient, we also try to take care of their family. So the family inevitably comes to the hospital. We meet with them and eventually transition their care to the intensive care unit. Uh, And I've had a chance to work in all of those facets and uh, really enjoy that kind of work. And I think we've got a good team uh, at Hennepin. Yeah, and one of those things is uh, putting someone on a vent, that decision. Do they need to be put on a vent? Um, and, And there's other technology and procedures that exist. Tell us a little bit more about ECMO. Sure. Uh, first I've ever heard of it. Maybe the first time most people have heard about it. Good. Yeah, I'd be happy to talk about it. Uh, this is a big part of what I do at Hennepin and try to direct. But we have um, different ways to provide life support that we didn't have even 10 or 15 years ago uh, to use as widely. Uh, mechanical ventilation has been around a long time. This is where we intubate a patient, put a breathing tube into their windpipe, and use a machine to take over the function of their lungs. We do that both if they have lung failure or other conditions like shock or a massive heart attack. Uh, People just need to be very passive in that situation when we try to treat them uh, so deeply sedated and on the ventilator. There are conditions, and there are a lot of them, where those types of life support aren't um, working well enough to support the patient, or there's um, collateral damage from those methods of life support that's just uh, too risky for that patient. So we need to take the next step, and at HCMC we've developed a... um, pretty robust ECMO program, as have several other high-quality hospitals in town here. Um, and ECMO is is a technology called extracorporeal um, membrane oxygenation. That's where the ECMO comes from. And it's a technology that kind of grew out of heart-lung bypass that's used in the operating room to operate on an open heart. 
Um, you know, that is technology that was pioneered here in Minnesota, actually, in the 1950s over at the University of Minnesota with Dr. Lillehei and Richard DeWall developing the first heart-lung bypass machines to allow a machine to do what the heart and lungs do. Fortunately, over the next decades, people maintained interest in actually taking this technology out of the operating room and bringing it to the bedside in the ICU. And here in the um, last decade, that technology become miniaturized and very high quality. So we can actually uh, put people on um, extracorporeal or out-of-body heart and lung support right at the bedside. And how this works is we're putting large uh, drainage tubes, large catheters, uh, into a central vein in their body. Um, and that catheter is draining a large amount of blood out of their body, runs it through via a pump through this device called a membrane oxygenator. And it does what the ventilator does by breathing for that patient, but it does it in a dialysis-type format where we can clean the blood. We can add oxygen, remove carbon dioxide, and use that pump to then return blood back to the patient with a second cannula. So it does all that outside the body, and we can maintain that kind of therapy for days or even weeks until that patient's underlying condition uh, improves or is, uh, is replaced by a more permanent device. Wow. It, it sounds like a miracle and a great tool. Yeah, we need to be careful on who we identify as candidates for this technology because it is resource intensive uh, and um, it is risky, but it's something that we've uh, developed expertise in and uh, we can provide that therapy here in the Twin Cities for children and adults with uh, critical illnesses that are really refractory to standard type life support. Uh, Once again, pleased to be joined by Dr. Matt Pracker, a pulmonary emergency medicine and critical care doctor at HCMC. We're just about out of time on the program today, but uh, you mentioned at uh, the beginning of the program today that uh, being involved in that that type of environment is, is one of the things that brought you to medicine and um, is is an intriguing part of it and and offers a lot of job satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I'm very lucky. I kind of have my dream job at HCMC, getting to practice in multiple areas of the hospital. Uh, I think the thing that really um, I enjoy the most about both my work in the emergency department at a busy level one trauma center as well as up in the medical intensive care unit is the teamwork. Uh, that's things I do and recommend for patients can't happen and don't happen well without the rest of the team. So uh, I work in an environment where I have to trust uh, nurses and uh, medical trainees and technicians and uh, phlebotomists and radiologists, the whole group uh, we need to take care of those patients. I can't do this in isolation. Um, and so I think uh, we all collaborate, we communicate, and um, and really can you know train the next generation of doctors at Hennepin uh, to do those same kind of things. Well, it's been a pleasure to visit with you and a pleasure to meet you. Once again, it is Healthy Matters. And once again, Dr. Matt Precker uh, joining us on the program today. And uh, we, we talked a lot about COPD. We apologize to the folks we weren't able to get to your phone calls or your text today. Of course, Healthy Matters each and every Sunday morning between 730 and 830 here on News Radio A3OWCCO. And we expect Dr. Hilden to return next Sunday on the program. But, uh, uh, Matt, you've done an outstanding job. A pleasure to meet you. Yeah, well, thank you again for the time this morning. I appreciate the questions and look forward to seeing uh, more patients we can help at Hennepin. Once again, Hennepin County Medical Center brings you Healthy Matters each and every Sunday morning 
at 7.30 here on News Radio WCCO. We have the weather in a moment, 56 degrees. It is cloudy and breezy. Winds out of the northwest at 12. We expect to see a little sun today. Uh, By the way, your money coming up in a moment here on CCO.